Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. The text for our sermon this morning uh, comes from especially our first reading from Acts 2, and in particular, uh, Peter's answer in verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God's grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Our readings today begin to shift our focus from Easter to post-Easter, from Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies to fulfilling the promises he made before he was crucified. We now hear about what it means for us that Jesus has been risen from the dead. How does he come to us? How do we find him or does he find us? We have the gospel reading from the accounts of the road to Emmaus, where Jesus teaches a post-Easter Bible study. He teaches his disciples who, well, they either doubted, of course, or just plain didn't believe that Jesus was risen from the dead. One thing for us to notice is how Jesus addresses the disciples' doubts. This is a lesson for us, that the solution to doubts or unbelief is to go back to the Word of God. That's exactly what Jesus did. He takes them back to the Word. He takes them there to show them that God is faithful and that the faithfulness of Jesus shows that He is God in the flesh and He can do what He promises. Now, this is good for us to hear today because like the disciples, we too might have doubts on occasion. Maybe not doubt that Jesus was raised from the dead, but we doubt that Jesus knows what he's doing in our lives, that he knows what's best for us, or even that suffering is actually for our benefit. Whether it's suffering at the hands of someone else, like public scorn for believing certain things in the Bible, or that we doubt because we are actually suffering in our own conscience. That we, we can suffer from outside or suffer from wrestling with things inside. That our conscience wrestles with what it means to be a Christian and how to live that out in our life. In particular, when God says his word should be a priority in our life, but if we go to Sunday school, it means giving up a little bit more time of our day or Bible study becomes some sort of inconvenience. Or maybe God's word seems boring. I've, I've heard people lament to me how hard it is sometimes to come to church or Bible study or study their Bibles. And I say, well, shouldn't that tell you something? That your sinful flesh actually doesn't like the word of God. And to think of what a treasure it is. Think of the story on the road to Emmaus that even Jesus, in the face of doubts, goes back to the word of God. God's word is like, a, it's like an inheritance or a family heirloom. Think about the sentimental things that you have in your life. Maybe a, a family heirloom, a possession of some sort that reminds you of things. 
things that really aren't much of value to anyone else or people who don't know the story. My dad, he had tools that he inherited from his father, and I have a couple of them. They're tools, and that's really all they are. I have a hammer that's all beat up, and it's old, and the handle is pretty worn. But that hammer was used by my grandfather to build a lake house and where he did a lot of maintenance. And there were many memories made at that lake house that our family no longer has. The hammer is worthless. It's really only good for a paperweight. But to me, because I know its history, I know where it comes from. I have intimate knowledge concerning the hammer. And because of that, it's very valuable to me. God's word is like that. The more you know it, the more you use it, the more time you spend with it, the more valuable it will become. And sure, our whole life, we we have to hammer down that old sinful flesh that doesn't like the word of God, but that's also its purpose, to teach us repentance. That repentance is something that God does to us. It's, it's many times shorthand for faith and the gift that God gives us. God gives us re- repentance to remind us how valuable his word is because it teaches us about his faithfulness and his mercy. And so it is with baptism today. Peter, in his sermon today in Acts, Peter taught that baptism is a very important doctrine to know and to have intimate knowledge about. For Peter, baptism is a doctrine that is like an old hammer or an old tool we might inherit. Might not be valued by the outside world, but for those of us who know what it is, for those of us who go to God's word, the promises given in baptism is one of the, is of the greatest value because it too teaches us God's story It teaches us our history as his people and his continuing love for us. The other day I was out and about and I was speaking with a person who mentioned that at their church they had a couple of water baptisms a couple of weeks ago. Maybe you've heard people speak of baptism in such a way. A water baptism. Some denominations teach that there are water baptisms and there are Spirit baptisms. Well, part of the challenge is that they separate the working of the Holy Spirit apart from the water. This is a terrible teaching because it goes against what Peter teaches us today. Be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Peter says that the Holy Spirit works with the water that there is no such thing as just a water baptism. In fact, the word baptism just means washing with water, baptizo in the Greek. That's where we get the word from. So when people say water baptism, what they're saying is, I was washed with water, water. (laughs) It's redundant. It's if I were to say, "I'm, I'm, I'm preaching, preaching words, wording to you. It just, even linguistically, it doesn't make sense. Now, the reason some churches teach this is twofold. 
First, in John chapter 3, they hear Jesus discussing with Nicodemus how to be born again or born from above. Jesus says, you must be born of the water and the Spirit. They think that Jesus is speaking of two baptisms because of the, the second reason. They think that water can't do anything miraculous. That water, it's, well, it's just water and that's all it is. So Jesus, they, they automatically assume Jesus must be speaking of two baptisms. One of water, which is purely symbolic, and then one of spirit, which really does something, they believe. The Spirit's baptism is disconnected from the water. It's mysterious. It happens at some time, they say, and it's usually connected with the feeling inside of you. Or some say speaking in tongues. And that's when you know you've had a baptism of the Spirit. You have a feeling inside of you which, to be frank, could just be indigestion. But we'll leave that. Today, St. Peter teaches... He says to all the people gathered around him, he says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So for the adults that are listening, Peter is saying, repent. In, in, the one, in, a, in um, a small way, Peter is saying, yes, confess your sins. You're an adult. You can speak. Confess your sins and then be baptized. Not just washing away of dirt as some symbolic gesture. No, you receive the forgiveness of sins. It happens. You are washed. It is God working with the water. Well, pastor, what about the repentance part? Well, remember, repentance is also a word for faith. It's something done to you. Since repentance and baptism is the work of God, then Peter can then, did you hear what he said after that? Peter can also then say, and any who would say that babies shouldn't be baptized? Peter says, this promise is for you and for your children. Here is absolutely where we see the apostles themselves. Who do you remember earlier in the Gospels when people tried to bring their infants to Jesus to bless them? And they said, no, Jesus doesn't have time for this. No, now these very same apostles are saying, no, bring the babies so Jesus can give them his promise of a new birth. St. Paul also teaches much about baptism. First, immediately concerning our topic of two baptism, in Ephesians 4, St. Paul says, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God who is Father of all. Next, we are taught by our Lord himself that children, babies, should be baptized. In the last chapter of Matthew, Jesus says, go into all nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus says all nations. There is no test for baptism because it is a gift and the working of God. So trying to separate the water from the Holy Spirit doesn't work in the Bible. Baptism, as I mentioned, just means washing with water in Greek, baptizo. And Peter, who preaches on it today, he loves baptism. He speaks about it multiple times in his epistles and in, in Acts 23 today, but also uh, in 1 Peter 3, Peter says, baptism now saves you. 
But what about our Acts reading today? Did you hear it in our Acts reading as well? In verse 23, you hear Peter say, you were born again. Peter is referencing Jesus in John chapter 3 when he's speaking to Nicodemus. God gives you a promise, an inheritance, a family heirloom in baptism, a promise that he is with you. Many Christians reject the working of the Holy Spirit in baptism because they think that when you're baptized, it's something you do. But notice what St. Paul writes in Titus 3. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells Titus, God saved us in baptism. He does all of it. Baptism is not a work done by us, but the work of God. God has always used outward signs for his people to show them that he's with them. Remember when Moses went to Pharaoh, Moses asked God, well, what sign do you give me so I know that you can do what you promised to go before Pharaoh? God says, Moses, stick your hand in your cloak. And he did, and he said, pull it out, and it turned to ash. And then God said, put it back in, take it out, and it was clean again, restored. God parted the Red Sea, water, to show the Israelites that he chose them and would take care of them. God gave all those sacrificial lambs, the scapegoats, with the promise of the forgiveness of sins. God regularly uses physical elements like water to work with the Holy Spirit to do amazing things because he wants you to know of his love. And it makes sense because we have so much concrete evidence to say otherwise. We see our sins. We feel our sins. We hear our sinful hearts and thoughts. We feel other people's sins against us. So much concrete evidence that works against the promises of God. And the devil, he has much physical evidence to throw in the court, to throw in our face before the feet of God and say, see, and for us to look at and maybe even doubt. Not even to say, what about our own concrete and physical death? Does the devil not use that to scare us? But God will not let sin and death be the only physical evidence admitted. God sends his son, Jesus, in the flesh, physical body, blood, breath, soul. Jesus is the ultimate sacrament. He is a physical man like you and me. And God uses this physical proof of his love. But we can't go to the cross. We can't feel Jesus' scars like Thomas did last week. So what does God do? He gives us baptism. Physical proof of his working and giving you new birth so that you may rise each day and walk in that newness of life. He gives us the sacrament of the altar, his body and blood with a promise attached for the forgiveness of your sins. Sure, without faith, these things are meaningless. Like an old worn out hammer, but with eyes of faith. Even those who looked on Jesus 
With eyes of faith, he and these are our glorious treasures. These are for you to draw upon when you have doubts because they force you to go back to God's word. We value things from our past. An old hammer, an old purse from grandma, or an anniversary gift from a spouse a long time ago. We value them because we know them, and in knowing them, in a way, it shows us we have a story. It tells us we're people. We have a past. Baptism not only makes you known to God, but he cleanses your story of all your sin. Being washed in the blood of Jesus means you not only have a clean past, but you also have a future with Jesus and all the saints. This is your family. Because he has made you holy by giving you his Holy Spirit, there's no doubt. Be baptized and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia.